The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do getters with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. Today on our program, we talk with Adam Davies, Director of Oregon Humanities. This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm Phil Bussey. I'm joined today by Adam Davis, who is the Executive Director for Oregon Humanities. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So I want to, um, let's try to pin this down on the map a little bit, because there's a lot going on with Oregon Humanities. You have conversation events. You have the Think and Drink, which is a conversation event. You have a quarterly magazine, and you give grants. Um, what's what's the goal of yeah, all of this? Sure. Uh, we're trying to get people connecting across differences. We're trying to get people to hear perspectives other than their own. And we know there are lots of different ways to do that. Sometimes it's face-to-face conversation. Sometimes it's hearing stories that are told on the page or online. And sometimes it's supporting other organizations that are trying to do more of this work of getting people talking and listening to each other. So, I I, I mean, in some ways, parts of that seem like a grown-up liberal arts college seminar. And which which I love. I, I went to a small uh, liberal arts. You went to Kenyon College, which is I would imagine you experienced a lot of that. It was a long time ago, but I think that's accurate. And you know, so have you has do you see a lot of those principles in play with Oregon Humanities? Yeah, we're not trying so much to recreate a college seminar experience as what we're trying to do is build community. And it happens that questions are a great way to get people more connected, especially if you're dialed into really hearing both what someone else is saying and revisiting your own thoughts about matters of shared concern. So so one of the big guiding questions, the sort of big thing we're trying to move towards uh, is justice. And we think that over the long term, getting people more connected by talking about tough questions they share is, is a way to get there. Seems like a hard selling point. What in particular? <laughs> Getting people to talk about tough issues, mm. um, to bring in uh, people who uh, not just want to give their opinion, but want to hear others' opinions. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because we are told all over the place that we don't listen to each other right now and that we're so split and so uh, bifurcated and polarized we can't talk to each other. And then some people think, I think like you said, uh, we don't even want to talk to each other. So I'll just tell you after uh, many years of doing this work, that's not the sense I have. I actually think the more we keep hearing that story on the federal level, uh, the less true it is on the local level and the statewide level. And I could point to so many different examples around the state to show that people actually do want to hear what other folks think. Um, let's hear one of those examples. So one of our face-to-face conversation programs is called Bridging Oregon, where we work with about uh, 25 people in different regions of Oregon. We'll get them together four times over a two-month period for about three hours each time. And what you start with is, like, what are the divisions in your community? Uh, and then the more we try to dig into those, we try to get create the conditions for people to start thinking, how do we work across those divisions? And we try to put these groups of 25 or so people together so that they include lots of divisions, especially along lines related to access to power, whether it's race, education, age, job, 
you name it. We want people in there who have different perspectives, who have different experiences of living, say, in Grants Pass or Medford or Garibaldi or Astoria or out in the Gorge or down in Prineville, and we get them talking across even the different towns within their region. And uh, it's kind of amazing what happens pretty quickly. Uh, and, and and there's a lot of answers to the question I'm going to ask next I, next, I imagine. But what are some of those big differences? And you, you, you sort of, you, you talked about them a little bit, but what are some of those big differences that people are identifying sure. in Grants Pass compared to Ashland or in yeah. Astoria and, you know, the, the coastal towns? So you're asking about differences between different regions of Oregon? Yeah, or when you say you're bringing groups of people together to talk about what differences they have, is there a common theme that comes up that people say, hey, the differences that we have are political, are economic, are racial? I mean, I mean it's, all, it's all that stuff. It's all the big things we hear about as dividing people. I think the question is uh, how deep are those and how intractable? How much can we get across and what does it take to get across? I mean, usually what it takes is the thing you asked about earlier, which is listening. Like, we spend a little time listening to one person, that person spends a little time listening to you, you start to recognize that some of the challenges you face are pretty similar, that you both care about the place where you live. So even though we're a humanities council, a state humanities council, and to some people that sounds like a residual college program, what we're most trying to build is trust. Uh, we're trying to build relationships. And it happened. And when I say build, I mean create the conditions for people to build those between them themselves. So this is intentional. You're not just putting people into a room, locking the door, and hoping that they come out as good friends. I mean, and friends may not even be there whether the door is locked or not. Yeah, fair, fair, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Um, how do you intentionally set up uh, an environment so that people are listening more, are working towards empathy? Is there coaching that goes in ahead of times? Are there prompts? Are there uh, rules of engagement? Yeah, uh, we put a lot of energy and attention into how best to invite and convene and also evaluate all of these different kinds of gatherings because sometimes there are 90-minute one-offs in a program we run called the Conversation Project. There are about 250 or 300 of those a year. And then there's Bridging Oregon, where it's four times, almost a half day each time for the same group of people. And then we also run a college program for adults living on low incomes. And that group of 15 to 20 people will meet 50 or 55 times over a 10-month period. So I say that to say each one of those has uh, slightly different goals and therefore a slightly different way to get there. But we also train facilitators. And we do that not only in and around Oregon, but we do that around the country because we think it's really important how you shape the experience people have when they're together, and especially when the topics are tough to talk about. So I, I, the, these are difficult and robust and, and uh, uh, topics. And when you're talking about trained facilitators, uh, can you just give a quick answer to how do you train someone or how, how do they instruct people to be better listeners? Sure. Uh, first, you don't say, hey, uh, what I'm going to do over the next hour and a half is make sure that you learn how to be a better listener. That's probably not going to work. Instead, you try to create an experience that makes it happen, and you try to model that. You ask people to pair up or triple up, and you ask them about an experience they had. When did they, uh, you know, when did they last run into someone in their community who they felt like was making a positive change? Talk about that with one other person for five minutes. Hear it from them. 
from the other person as well. Then maybe you bring them back to the whole group, and maybe you even put an image in front of them, like a photo. Or maybe you put a short reading in front of them that bears on that same question. You start thinking about that together, and then maybe 30, 40 minutes later, you start pushing people back towards their community. What about you? How are you thinking about when you walk out of the room, you might be working on this, and are there things you might be doing together? Uh, you, you used the word rules, I think, before, and I should say we try not to talk about ground rules. Instead, we talk about invitations. How are you inviting people to show up? Often if there's food in a room, that's going to start helping people show up in a certain way. If the facilitator is modeling comfort with challenging conversations, if when a question that can't be answered comes up, instead of trying to answer it too quickly, you say, that's a great question. Let's kind of, let's see what other people think about it. And you sit with and even move toward the question rather than the answer. That can help build trust and help people listen to each other. Um, I know that you're not tackling political issues per se, I would imagine that it is difficult not to have a gravitational pull towards those, uh, whether we're talking local or, or federal political issues. Everything we do is political, but, it, but our approach is not partisan. And when I say it's political, I mean we're thinking together about the good and the bad, the just and the unjust, the advantageous and the disadvantageous. I'm using that phrase because it's straight out of Aristotle's politics, and it describes what we do. That's different from partisan. We're not trying to get people to agree to vote certain ways or even to pass certain ballot initiatives. What we're trying to do is get people to talk about the stuff that underlies that and to build the framework for democracy. So we're not on the policy side, but I think for that policy stuff to work and for the legal and institutional stuff to work, there has to be a fabric that's formed by people listening to people they disagree with and people they don't know well. And you, you talked earlier uh, in, the, in the show about um, Oregon Humanities providing somewhat of a counterbalance or finding that, that uh, with federal tone being a bit more tense lately that there has been, um, is it fair to say, a, a bigger appetite for civil discourse? Uh, it is fair to say that one of the, one of the strange and surprising uh, positive outcomes of the sort of heightened tension is that people all over know that we need to talk more, that we need to listen more. We, three years ago, I feel like it was actually pretty difficult for me to make the case for our work. And these days, folks kind of get it. They get why it's needed and they get what it is. Let's take a quick musical break. This is uh, the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. Adam Davis is Executive Director for Oregon Humanities. You brought in a couple songs. You Why don't you start us out with one of those? Sure. I'll start off with the, the heavy one. Uh, it's by Sonny War. Uh, it's a song called If It Isn't Broken, and uh, it's about the heart and how it, how it works. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds uh, intriguing. Let's give a listen.
lost your baby So you lost your job So you lost all faith in the world you call God You came to me for refuge This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. Adam Davis is Executive Director for Oregon Humanities. We were talking about some of the framework of the events that you put on. I want to talk about, uh, in particular, the Think and Drink. Sure. Uh, what are those? Those have been going on for a decade, perhaps? Almost exactly 10 years. In fact, we're looking at changing the name now that it's been about 10 years. Okay. Uh, but we have one, a Think and Drink, coming up next week on uh, January 22nd up at the Alberta Rose. Uh, this whole year in Portland, we're talking about, the name of the series is Making Democracy. And so uh, on January 22nd, we'll have three people who are involved with the judicial system, uh, Oregon Supreme Court Justice, uh, district attorney and someone who works hard on justice issues. Uh, and so we'll be thinking about the relationship between the courts and democracy. And everything we do in Think and Drink is to try to take sort of big ideas, ideas that are pretty relevant to how people are living, and to approach them uh, kind of in enjoyable ways. Sometimes people have uh, 
have grabbed a libation or something. Other times it's just the vibe is a little bit different. And we try to open up questions again rather than to settle things and to try to get different perspectives in the room. These days we've been getting 300, 350 people to come out. Uh, we also run these in other places around the state in partnership with lots of different organizations. I, and, and you've used that word justice now a couple times. Yeah, sorry. No, no, I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big word. It's a big concept. Um, let's roll back a little bit. And, and I imagine that there, how, how did Organ Humanities, how did you arrive at that word? Was, was there internal discussions about what is the goal? Did the word organically arise? There was just an aha moment. How, how did justice become mm. uh, the grail at this point? Yeah. Uh, about six and a half years ago, we were looking at our organizational vision, and we had some really hard conversations as a staff and a board with also some external community members helping us think about uh, what do we most want to do, what are we most for, what are the tools of the humanities at this time uh, most important to, to point towards. And the vision that came out of it was what, what our work is after, the thing we envision in the state. We're after an Oregon that invites diverse perspectives, explores challenging questions, and strives for just communities. And so the verbs matter in that vision. Mm -hmm. uh, invite, explore, and strive. Getting back to your question about justice, we're not going to get there. We're not going to, we don't expect everybody to agree on what it is, but we think we always need to continue to be working towards it. And as a way to get there, we need to get multiple perspectives in and we need to be digging into the hard stuff. And that's really what the humanities as a set of tools offers us is the opportunity to do those three things well and pointing ultimately towards how we live together and how we live better, more justly together. This is a this is sort of a general question. I feel like it's a little. I, I'll just ask it: Is is organ humanities more heart or more head? That's a great question. Uh, fortunately, organ humanities is a big collection of people and partners, and I think uh, right now we're about. 16 staff as well as a few interns. Our board is 20 people statewide. We have about 60 people that lead conversations for us. We have dozens of people that write for our magazine and do art for our magazine and online. Uh, and then we have 200 organizational partners around the state. And I say all this to say, for some people, it's probably more head. For other people, it's more heart. I think I have been moving in my understanding of the work from the head more towards the heart, but I believe that it's very hard to separate the two. That's almost, you've almost made a reference to Greece now that I think about it. My, my head is saying, fool, forget him. My heart is saying, don't let go. It's hard to separate <laughs> the two, I think. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and I guess that, that does bring into a logistical question. You have all of these uh, people who are involved, invested, interested in the organization and the direction and, and, and where it's centered. How do the conversations happen internally? You guys are fostering conversations outside of your organization, but internally you need to be having discussions as well. How do those discussions go? They go all the ways that discussions in the world go. Sometimes they go great. Sometimes they're really, really difficult. And in a way, it's especially with the people that you know best and work hardest on values and what you're most committed to that you're going to get into it. And so... Uh, 
I think that's one of the big challenges. Is it can be easy to say, you guys out there, you should be having that hard conversation. We're going to show you how to do it. Can we do it at home? Can we do it in our place? How much stamina do we have for it? Uh, and how do we do it best? So your question's a good one. And I think it's one of the challenges, not just of our work, but of nonprofit work more generally, uh, is that you bring in a bunch of people who care deeply about seeing the world improve in certain ways. They're bringing real passion to the job. They don't see everything in exactly the same way. How do we both make space for that and remain really committed about the big purpose we have in common? And I would imagine then that that also means that the uh, the, the the parameters are always changing or the goal line is changing. Uh, it, this is not a static goal or the rules are not uh, set in stone necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think that the specific outcome can shift, but the way of being uh, and the way of being with each other, uh, which is to help each, you know, to help ourselves try to work on this stuff, to be open to questions ourselves, to revisit our own assumptions, not to think we know all the time, not to dismiss people uh, too quickly. Uh, that all we try to keep doing over time. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the public program goals or the public program. And and so Oregon Humanities gives out grants. Yep. Uh, that's a fascinating model to me because you are not a foundation. We're not. And you are also needing to raise your own money. That is true. But then you're giving money away. Yep. Um, talk to me a little bit about how that works. I mean, are, are there specific funds set aside? Uh, is there an endowment for that money? Where where Where's that coming from? How does that work? So we give two kinds of grants. We give public program grants, which is once a year, and it has a fairly familiar application process where you send in a letter of inquiry, you hear uh, that a full proposal is invited, our board gets together with staff support and makes decisions about that. We also give responsive program grants, which are smaller and super fast and super easy, and staff makes those decisions. So you'll hear within two or three weeks if you apply for something, if you're trying to get people thinking about a timely idea in their community. Responsive program grants are funded from money we raise. Public program grants, the first ones I talked about, are essentially re-granting funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities, which is what started our organization, and the NEH continues to be our biggest funder. So there's a, more restrictions because it's federal money, uh, and the process is a little more arduous, but they're also larger grants. Um, as your question suggests, that it's not easy to raise money that you're going to re-grant, and you're right. And sometimes we're in the room with foundations, too, as if we are a foundation with the kind of corpus that, say, Meyer or OCF has, which we're not. Uh, we're a small, still fairly scrappy, even if moving towards mid-sized nonprofit. But we do have, first, the belief that our job in everything we do is to create conditions for people to connect across differences. And we try a bunch of strategies. And in some cases, we think that people we train, for example, should be involved. But in other cases, we just want to shift resources to people that are already trying to do this work and give them a little encouragement and also, frankly, some more credibility and prestige that comes with not only a statewide organization, but an affiliation with the National Endowment for the Humanities. And maybe there it's worth saying just that that matters too, that we're working around this state, but our work is part of a web that runs all across the states and territories. So there are 56 state and territorial humanities councils, and it matters that our work is connected to all that other work. And grants are one way that that really happens and helps show just the diversity and reach of this kind of work. 
I want to go to another song in a second, but I first want to talk a bit more about that web uh, and, and, and the, the national level of all of this and then also the interplay. Let's start with the idea of how unique is Oregon Humanities in terms of how similar is it to uh, Wyoming Humanities or Minnesota Humanities. And I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting the names of those those yeah. right, but how how much are you allowed to grow in your own direction and how much do you exchange information with those organizations? Each one of us is an independent nonprofit with our own board and uh, our own name. Uh, and so there's quite a bit of difference among the different councils. And we, I believe, are on one end of the spectrum of state councils in a few ways. One, our explicit orientation towards just communities mm-hmm. puts us on one end of the spectrum. Who's on the other end? Oh, geez. <laughs> there, are some, there are some more traditional, more academic-looking, or more okay. heritage-based councils that would be in places you'd expect, where their key partners are... Big universities, let's say. Um, okay. So that'll give you some sense rather than naming states. Uh, but I like the provocative question there. <laughs> um, I think we're also on another end when it comes to, frankly, like nonprofit maturity. We have worked really hard, as have uh, a growing handful of other state humanities councils, to diversify off of NEH support so that six years ago, 70, 75% of our income came from the National Endowment for the Humanities. These days, it's closer to 40%. And in that time, it's a huge change. And in that time, we've also doubled our operating budget, which tells you that uh, we're getting other sources of support. And our staff has grown. You know, we're not six or eight people, we're 15 or 16 people. We've also started to build an endowment that existed structurally about 15 years ago, but these days, it's about $1.2 million, and that's grown too. And these are all ways to make sure that this work is still happening 50 years from now. And I, I just mentioned 50 years because we were founded in 1971, and so we're one year from our 50th, and we're really starting to think about what that 50th year is going to look like and how we can make sure that an institution like this exists for another 50 years doing the kind of work we're doing. Let's go to another song here. What have you got for us? I got I got Harry Nilsson, Gotta Get Up, um, and that's less about the end of the work and more about what it feels like to do the work.
She knew a sailor who'd been to war She never even knew a sailor before She never even knew his name He'd come to town and he would pound her for a couple of days And then he'd sail across the bubbling waves And those were happier days But now Adam Davis, thank you for talking to us today. Uh, Oregon Humanities has an event coming up uh, within the next week. Can you remind us what that is? Sure. January 22nd, Think and Drink on Making Democracy, specifically thinking about the relationship between the courts, the justice system, and democracy at the Alberta Rose Theater. Uh, Tickets available through our website or the Alberta Rose Theater website. Well, I encourage people to attend. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks a lot, Phil. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.